Alright, good morning everyone. It is very chilly Maryland morning. Don't know if it's coming through on the video, but there's just a little sheen of frost over all of the grass. Sometimes you forget during the summer that you spend almost half the year with slushy, snowy ground. And we've had a good long summer, I suppose, because man, I just try to picture this place covered in snow and I can't do it. And I know in a couple of three weeks it's going to be de rigueur. Uh, I am walking today with Mr. Jasper. Mr. Jasper says hello. It's 23 degrees out, which means that I'm probably making better walking time than normal because I'm cold. I don't know that Mr. Jasper appreciates that, though. Since the last video was about 40 minutes long and completely taxed the uh, Google Glass, not blaming it, mind you, taking 40 minutes of high-res video is pretty impressive, even for a camera, so for the multifunction thing like the glass, it's, it's really cool. Anyway, so in order to alleviate that problem for today, I have, uh, I delayed the start of the podcast recording until after the, uh, until after about a block or so. Hopefully that'll give us plenty of time. Still thinking that Nathan may have the right of it by only doing the last mile, 18 to 20 minutes. I cannot fathom why that person was honking. Anyway, um, yeah, so had big plans for yesterday. I was going to take an hour in the afternoon, bang out another 1,200 words and get caught up. That didn't happen. I did, however, take uh, the time to edit my uh, chapter 10 of Invita Rex. I think I probably say this a lot, but honestly, it's one of my favorite chapters. Uh, this is one where Dizzy basically comes to term with how soul-crushing his new job can be. The responsibility, the hatred, I mean, the open, naked hatred of everyone around him. Well, not everyone. I think Olivia is... Neutral at best. She may be on his side, maybe not. It's kind of funny because you would expect for a neutral character to be most interested in promoting their family, and yet, at this point in the story, Olivia hates her family more than she hates the, anybody else in the aristocracy. I don't know if you've noticed it, but 
when I left the house this morning, it was dark. I mean, stumbling all over your feet kind of dark. If you didn't have street lights, you'd fall down kind of dark. I only mention that because in like the last 10 minutes, it's gotten significantly brighter, which is cool. I'm new to the waking up at the crack of dawn thing, so I'm like the city mouse on his first night in the country. Like to be eaten by the cat. Speaking of which, my uh, thousand words for this morning, that was fun. I've got Scepter basically uh, estranged from his entire world and trying to fight his way back to the uh, nobleman, to his noble life, his noble calling. And, uh, and in the process of doing so, he comes across a cat who decides that he is great fun to play with. That was a fun chapter to write. Not even a chapter, really. It's only about a thousand words so far. Yeah, so uh, my plan was to get 1,200 words extra yesterday. That didn't happen. I figured, well, I do 1,200 words every day in the morning instead of a thousand, and I'll be able to catch up over like six days. But then while I was writing the scepter versus cat chapter, it only got to about a thousand. So still not quite caught up. Come on, Jasper. Morning. Morning. It's a pretty chocolate lab. It's probably not a chocolate lab. I know very little about dog breeds. I only know the ones that I have. And that's the rote memorization. As far as I'm concerned, this little guy's a miniature lassie. Anyway, so, so the plan was to get 1,200 done yet, extra yesterday, didn't happen, so I thought I'd recoup by doing 1,200 every day instead of 1,000, and that didn't happen, and because I have hard limits, which is to say one hour and no more, because I got to keep on my schedule, or else I'll end up taking time away from the walk and stuff, so anyway, the end of the hour, so that's it. Walk away with 1,029 words. Just have to call it okay. So, yeah.
I have to redo my plan for the Cut Purse King. I had a plot all set up and it had a very neat little beginning to end story arc which would serve but I wasn't really giddy about it. But about a week ago I decided I would take a different tack which is to say I have no idea what's going to happen. One of the characters Basically, I was treating the characters as caricatures, acting as though they didn't understand what was going on around them. They only understood what was right in front of them. And one of the characters, who is not actually evil, but who uh, cares only for his family, he was a secondary character who was basically getting used by Dizzy. And uh, I thought, well, what if he knew he was getting used? He was a proud man. He wouldn't just stand by and let it happen. This is new. Oh, that is cool. That is cool. It's always nice to see when they come back. Man, don't get me started on politics. Let me just say, glad to see when our boys come home. Anyway. So yeah. Hey, pretty dog. So yeah, this character having realized that he was being used by Dizzy, not being totally cool with it, basically saw what I was doing, plot-wise, what Dizzy was doing, rather, but he saw the plot that I was spinning out, and he said no. He decided to break that storyline because it wasn't good for his family, and honestly, wasn't good for his pride. If he wanted to support his family, there's probably other things he could have done, but he's a proud old bird, and he decided he wasn't going to take it. So, to get Dizzy back, he does something that will frankly lead to war. This makes for a much more interesting story. At the same time, I no longer have a plot. Let me put that differently. I no longer have a controlled plot. And in a way, I'm loving that. In another way, very, very nervous. I got a little spreadsheet. Something that I learned from J.K. Rowling. Not personally, mind you, just we read about how writers write and we pick up those things that we like. Create a little spreadsheet that has 
columns for each of the characters, each of the major storylines, and what those characters do. And I've got to completely revisit the, uh, was it here? Yeah, I think this is it. I think this is the one mile mark. Monkpole. Monkpole, that's something that uh, Nathan says on his morning walk. Took me forever to figure out what that meant. Thought it was some obscure Franciscan reference. Because I don't watch a lot of USA. <laughs> I did eventually figure it out. So let's face it, Tony Shalhoub is pretty good in that show. Anyway. So, the still forest stop sign has become my monk pole. One mile down, one mile to go. Anyway, so I've got my spreadsheet. And uh, the columns indicate different storylines, different characters' reactions, to things that are going on. And then the rows indicate time. At what point does this happen? At what point does that, does that happen? And it's not just... Uh, how do you break up your chapters? It's also how much time elapsed from here to here. And uh, makes it easier for a plotter to write. But as I said, I had my lovely little plot already prepared. Now it's invalid. So, gotta go back and revisit that. Gotta see if I can come up with a new plot that takes into account Lord Oldham seeing through my clever plan and instigating war instead. I gotta figure out what war, what a civil war looks like in that world. I had, uh, I set up as an Orwellian thing the idea of perpetual war. And this, too, gets into my politics, and I apologize for that. But uh, Orwell said that in order for leaders to maintain control of the people, they had to keep them in a constant wartime state, where people have to make sacrifices for the war effort. Wow. Uh, that's, that was cool. That was nice coincidental, and I'm ruining the moment now. So yeah, I just had a subtle video reference to go along with my discussion. So Orwell said, in order to control people, you have to have a state of perpetual war. You have to have a state where people feel like they uh, sacrifice for the greater good. And me personally, I look upon the Iraq war, the fighting in Afghanistan, the uh, new areas that we seem to be going after. We're always looking at Iran, Iran. We're always looking at 
taking it there. And anyway, it felt a lot like that to me. When you're fighting a war and you don't know what you're fighting for, you don't know what the end goal is because the very people you're liberating are trying to kill you. And yeah, I know, not all of them are. But you gotta admit, this war feels a lot more like Vietnam than Normandy. These wars. Anyway, so in my story, I had the same situation. I had nation fighting against nation with no description whatsoever of who was fighting who or why. I just referred to them as the wars. One of my readers got mad at me about that in the reviews. Said you can't just say, you can't just say the wars and drop it like that without describing who's fighting or why. And honestly, it was hard not to respond to that one. It's hard not to say, can you look around and tell me who is the coalition of the willing these days? What we're fighting for? But, you know, if the uh, analogy doesn't stand on its own, then my describing it won't help. So, so yeah, I've had these external wars going for a long time. And uh, while I have a personal map that shows at different times who's at war with who, which basically looks a lot like risk, while I have that, I'm not letting it go. I'm not letting people know who's fighting who and where and what different groups are standing uh, where different groups are standing against each other. I want that to be a mystery. I want people to feel helpless in trying to figure out what's going on there. Because let's face it, a lot of us feel helpless trying to figure out what's going on. So, that's the foreign wars. And we've had that going on through all of the series, starting with the Hidden Institute, Vito Rex, Cut First King, all of them have this perpetual war state going on. But a civil war is almost unheard of because there's no money in a civil war. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's, there are ways that a uh, war profiteer can uh, find money. I seem to remember that the Civil War profiteer was a common bad guy in the Twilight Zone. Whenever they had some story of something from the 1800s, there'd be one guy richer than everybody who made his money off of either war profiteering from the Civil War or or sometimes World War II. But anyway, Civil War is not as good for business when you have families that control the entire nation. So how does that look? 
how does that look in this world? I've set it up so that the nation is split, where Oldham has all the money, lots of manpower. Atherton has all the media, lots of influence and sway in what people think. And he could subvert their men. And then Wilde has lots of land and fervent supporters who he's been protecting for years. But when you get right down to it, what does that war look like? Does it look like Wilde's men basically chaining up the doors to uh, Atherton's media outlets? Is it Oldham making a land grab with his people, gunning down the uh, rangers, live in the parks, and taking land that way? There's lots of possibilities. And I think it's a good sign that I'm very nervous about doing it. I think it shows that I really do kind of love that, love that world. So, so that's good. At the same time, I'm very nervous because I don't see a plot anymore. I had this great plot line where one person pops out of nowhere and deus ex fixes everything. And honestly, even as I say it, I'm shaking my head saying, no, that's a bad idea. So it's a good thing. It's a good thing to have the uh, uncertainty. Squirrel! Uh, all the same, I gotta get in there and get a new spreadsheet. I gotta find a new plot. Because I know, I mean, I'm still working off that spreadsheet. I know it's not valid anymore. But the individual chapters, the individual scenes, they still work by and large. The, I mean, I'm not at the point yet where Oldham defies me. But that time, but that time's coming. It's coming up soon, and I gotta be ready. Come on, Jasper. Luckily, I'm not at that point yet. I'm still able to sit down and say, I know what I want to write. Let's just go. I'm really afraid that once I get to that point, I'm just going to be stuck going like, oh. And then Wendy says, I like pie. Do you like pie? Become like what people think nano writers do. Shout out to my nano peeps. Way to go, guys. You're about halfway there, I think. Nathan's probably beating you all. 
I saw a lot of uh, people got their 50,000 in the first 10 days. Gotta say, I'm mighty impressed. 50,000 words in 10 days is nothing to laugh at. So, yeah. started working on some friendship bread at home. Some friends of mine uh, loaned, uh, gave me the dough for it. And uh, as Rob said, it's a very high maintenance bread. As pastries go, it's the longest wait I've ever had. I think I'm on day 11 of the preparation. So, yeah, we just put flour, sugar, milk into it, and uh, Ali had this brown sugar that wasn't what you think of as brown sugar. It's regular sugar, but it's made out of molasses or something. Pure cane sugar, something like that. Not sugar in the raw, not the trademark sugar in the raw, but something like it. I know that when it's done, the friendship bread tastes a lot like sticky buns, you know, cinnamon kind of flavor, but the sugar that uh, Ali gave me smells a lot like molasses. I think she said it was made from molasses. And, I mean, it's the kind where if you if you take too deep a whiff, you start feeling a little drunk. So, now my friendship bread looks very brown. I got a little nervous that it's going to look, I mean, it's going to be very different. But honestly, I think molasses and cinnamon, as tastes go, could work out. I'm hopeful for it. Still, it's going to be like a week, I guess, before I can do anything with the, the bread. It's going to be rising. I have to mash it every day until we finally cook it. Let's see what else. You know, this... Uh, I wear a black leather jacket. You can hear the buckle swinging against my uh, leg when I walk. It was a gift from Allie. Way more expensive than she really should have spent, but I'm constantly grateful for having Allie. She's one of the kindest people I've ever met. When I met her, she went by the online handle, Sarcasm's Voice. And those who know Allie, they can see where that comes from. She has a very matter-of-fact military, I'm telling it like it is, kind of voice. And sarcasm is second nature to her. But me, I'm generally very laid back. I'm very... 
easygoing, unfriendly. If I order the wrong thing or the waitress gets my order wrong, I tend to shrug and say, all right, I'm trying something new. And I like to think that I've tempered the acerbic wit of my lady. God, it sounds like Taming of the Shrew. She's, she was not like that. Thing is, there is so much beauty that was hidden underneath the sarcastic shell. She's basically genius level intelligence, but she was very nervous about people. So she built up this sarcastic wit. And being genius level intelligence, she was able to do it better than most. And I like to think that, flying pig, okay. I like to think that I helped temper that, show her that you don't have to be like that. Morning. All right, how are you? So here we are coming up on the house. And it's 29, 26, 30 minutes rather than 40. So that should work out for the podcast. And we know that it's not going to cut out suddenly as I say goodbye. By the way, that's our jack o' lantern. Squirrels got it. Got it before the first night. It's kind of funny. Anyway, that's a story for another day. I'll talk to you guys later.